0: Welcome to another episode of Creative Mind. I'm your host, Bobby Brill. And in this episode, we're going to get a little bit deeper into sound design and music composition. Previously, we had heard from Bradley Hughes, the director of the department, and this time he sits down and has a conversation with Gunnar Debozy, who has scored films that are Academy Award nominated. So take a listen as the two of them discuss what it means to be a film composer, and some tips on how to be successful as a film composer. And this is gonna be a great two episode series. So definitely hit subscribe in iTunes or in Spotify or whatever device you're listening to so you never miss an episode of Creative Mind. Hi,
1: I'm Brad Hughes. I'm the department director for the School of Music Production and Sound Design for Visual Media at the Academy of Art University. I'm pleased to welcome our guest today for our video interview, Gunnar Dubose. Gunnard is an accomplished film score composer. He's also a faculty member here in our department at AAU. And Gunnard has scored a number of films uh, that have achieved high profile success, including two Academy Award winning documentary shorts, Saving Face, and The Girl in the River. He's also scored an Academy Award nominated film, the last campaign of Booth Gardner. Welcome, Gunnar Dubose. Thanks, Brad. Hey. hey. You know, I just wanted to uh, dive in right away with hearing a
2: little bit about your background. Tell us a little bit about how you got into the business. Well, I got into it in a very circuitous manner. I didn't go directly towards film scoring. Uh, I started out uh, as an instrumentalist, hoping to be in an orchestra. And over the course of my education, I ended up landing in film scoring through, uh, by studying music production and engineering. So I had a, a different way into the business. It wasn't, a, uh, it wasn't the, my first goal as a, as a music student when I was young to be a film composer, but that's just what happened. And um, I'm glad it did because it's worked out pretty well so far for me uh, I grew up in Cleveland Ohio and uh, I studied Suzuki violin at a very young age mm-hmm. and uh, I uh, then took the clarinet up when I was in second grade and played in a couple of regional orchestras in the Cleveland area and uh, then when it came time to go off to college it was music performance and so right. I my ambition was to be in an orchestra and while I was in college I, I I saw music was so much bigger than just being in an orchestra. And I wanted to be, uh, I had a desire to do something that was just larger than sitting, playing clarinet in an ensemble. I Mm -hmm. wanted to create, and I wanted to uh, produce things for popular music genres, and I had ideas about film scoring, but I really didn't know if I wanted to be a film composer. Long story short, uh, I ended up going to Berklee College of Music, and I ended up being the only clarinet performance major who was studying sound engineering. And uh, so it was a, an odd sort of marriage of classical training with contemporary music production. Yeah, And that kind of got me into writing projects and scoring things for visual media. So that's sort of how I started.
1: I think that's interesting because I think a lot of our students here probably have a little bit of a similar or at least a parallel background. Sure. Many of our students are instrumentalists sure. or they, they're, they're accomplished uh, piano players or right. something like that. But they they come to Academy of Art to learn about the production side of things and learn about um, applying musical composition skills and or sound design skills to visual media and narrative storytelling. So I think I see some parallels there. That's interesting.
2: Yeah. I, I Like I said, when I was at Berkeley, I was always playing clarinet in film scoring ensembles, yeah. So I was actually looking at film composers, people who were studying it, and going, "Geez, I'd like to do that. Uh, I, I don't know if I want to do that, but that I'd like to try that and see what I can see if I can make any inroads in that mm-hmm. world."
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so while I was there, I I was uh, probably this is in 1996. I was uh, studying desktop music production in the synthesis lab. So we started working on Mac-based productions, uh, native to um, what we use now as digital audio workstation technology. Right. And long story short, that kind of morphed into me doing a lot of synthesis projects for visual media. Short films, short clips, working in the synth lab, and I thought, there's got to be a way to take this whole technique of working in uh, audio production and molding it with film scoring, Mm -hmm. without there being necessarily the big orchestra all the time, where I could be using sample-based orchestras and music synthesis as a driver as opposed to compositionally being driven. So my sort of, I guess, similar to what Hans Zimmer was doing in the 90s with sequential elements in music, I started playing around with at Berkeley. So we yeah. were all sort of copying that at the time. And so my entry into film scoring was more from a production-orientated world versus a compositional world.
1: I think that makes sense because as uh, I'm sh- obviously you're a living example of this so much of what we try to teach our students here is that it's no longer enough just to be a good composer or a good right. instrumentalist if you want to be in this world right? right the technical demands and the audio engineering and production functional skills with daws etc are are uh, so much higher on composers now than they ever used to be.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, b- back in the day, uh, you you know, t- thirty years ago, you didn't have to deliver perfect mock-ups. Right. You could deliver a, a cassette tape yes. of your score, and they'd say, "Oh, that sounds great." Now they want to have the score finished. It's got to be done uh, before you even give the f- you know, the whole thing has to be perfectly um, it has to be perfectly produced, and and that's what's driving everything in film scoring right now. It has to be composed well but it has to be produced as a finished product and I think that's the real big difference between film scoring now and film scoring 30 years ago. Let's just fast forward a little
1: bit. Tell me about your first actual film scoring project. What was it and how did it come about?
2: Oh wow. Um, Again it was one of those happy accidents. I was... um, everybody at Berkeley was telling me I'll never find a film scoring job by looking at online ads for film composers. right. So, uh, of course, uh, I didn't know anybody in the industry, uh, so I went online and uh, I found an ad for, we are looking for Middle Eastern music for a film that was shot in Afghanistan. It was just a little ad, please send your CDs, so this is back before we had SoundCloud, uh, to this address in Hollywood. And so at the time, I was producing a lot of music at home with what I knew. So I, I, being a woodwind instrumentalist and being somebody who played Armenian Duduk, I was doing all this Middle Eastern world music fusion mm. uh, in my own home studio. I sent a few of these tracks off to the film editor. And this is very important. Um, and the film editor placed them into the timeline of the movie. Uh, the director and I didn't even speak, and the director said, hey, I really like that music. Uh, can we, is this guy available to score the movie? And uh, I got a call from uh, a guy who was formerly the drummer from Bad Religion, uh, which was a punk band in the 80s, uh, who became a film editor. And he said to me, hey, we've got your music in the, in the cut. Do you want to score this film? you know again I had no expectation on being a film composer per se I was just sending my music out trying to get it in something to generate a royalty or or you know I didn't have any ambitions beyond just doing that and then all of a sudden I was scoring a movie and I was moving to Hollywood and uh, packed all my bags left Boston um, uh, ended up over a few months I, I moved to Hollywood uh, lived in Hollywood and scored my first movie and um, that's how it started. Since some of our
1: students are um, uh, you know, music scoring and composition majors, uh, and uh, they're specific to scoring, most of them really love film and want to score film. Some of them are more into games. You know, we cover a lot of wide-ranging visual media. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, we also have students that are, that are doing sound design here. And I think it's so important we teach our students about the relationship between the music score and the sound design of any given media project. We'll stay in the film world for now, but sure. I think it's, a lot of it's applicable to any visual media. Tell me about your views of, of how you view sound design in relation to the music score. Do you ever work with sound designers? Do you ever, ever have that opportunity to craft both the music score and the sound design of, of a project together? I know it may not always the opportunity may not always be there, but if does does that ever uh, come up for you?
2: Yeah, uh, it's happened in a couple of movies where I've had to work um, with the sound designer, especially in the horror film genre, where you're using sound design, you know, score as sound design. So you're writing, you know, very chromatically or twelve tone music, atonal music, whatever, and you're you're having to use that as sound design complementing what sound design's already been done, or the score is actually driving the sound design. So you do your cues, you put them in, and then the sound designer hears that music and how it's hitting particular key things, and then they craft sound design around that. The opposite happens as well, where the sound design's done, and then you get the, the, the film, and then you have to make the score harmonically work with the sound design, if the sound design is very tonally driven. Right. So there's sort of two aspects of sound design. There's sort of the ambient natural that hits the the, the, the things we call "walla," or uh, you know, a cup being put down or a door being open or footsteps. And then there's the more ethereal world of sound design where you're in a sci-fi movie or you're in a game or you're in a, a movie genre that, that has more of an opening for that. Um, then you have to be a little bit more sensitive as a composer. And sometimes, you can do a great score and they put the sound design, you combine them and the score doesn't work. And you have to redo the score to work with the sound design or you have to have the sound designers redo some of the sound design to work with the score. Mm -hmm. And that can become a contest between uh, the composer and the sound design team. So uh, often I find editors will, will actually temp place sound design in movies and they'll do a really bad job. Of it because they're film editors. They're just they want something to be there, like an right. explosion or a hit or something like that. And then the sound design team will take it over after the composer's already written their score to that temp sound design. Mm-hmm. And then the score doesn't work, and the score needs to be redone in order to accommodate what's been done on the sound design side. I see. And and the it's always this fluid thing where uh, it's very difficult to control that outcome and workflow because generally speaking, your sound design team's over here working, and your composer's over here working, and the assets don't get, uh, they get combined asymmetrically. On the next stage. Right, so they're all coming in at different times, so it's very difficult to sort of gauge how that's going to work, and that can be challenging for both teams. Mm -hmm. Um, I I often find that, depending on the genre of movie, uh, I've been really lucky in that Directors will generally defer to what I'm doing uh, as a composer, which I really like. And the sound design team doesn't like that. So, uh, again, it's very subjective in that way. I mean,
1: I think it's an area that's going to continue to evolve, especially in the direction that we've seen film score go in the last few years really where where so many and I think horror is a good example here so many scores are crossing that line between what's a music score what is a sound design element right what is that sound is it a is it a is you know a musical uh component or is it just some sound design you know synthesizer weird sound that's you know
2: yeah, when I'm working, when I'm scoring a horror movie, for example, I feel like I'm a sound designer more yeah. than I'm a composer, and um, I'm using musical elements and twisting them around and doing all kinds of things to them in the production environment. And I, I, I sometimes I, my my definition as to who, I what I'm doing gets kind of blurry in that, um, because then the, the director on the mix stage will say, "Oh, that pushed the sound design, and that's actually score." Uh, it's not actual right. sound design, and so, but, but it doesn't bother me because it's all a part of getting that movie made, and, and making it make sense to the audience and watchable and that sort of thing. So to me, it's I never get bothered by that sort of sort of thing. And I
1: think it also highlights the importance uh, and the trust that we have to have in the re-recording mixer on the project. Oh, right? God, yes, that's the person in charge of you know doing the final final. Balancing of all the soundtrack elements, the dialogue, the sound effects, the Foley, the music score, anything at all that's going to be in there, you know, I, I think uh, I know a few of these guys and, and yeah. they're, they are Herculean in their task yeah. of balancing very dense, a lot of material into a cohesive, balanced soundtrack, especially on these big action films like, uh, you know, uh, Transformers, Transformers or, 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 uh, or the Avengers series right, of right, films. Right. These are big films. You right.
2: Know? Sometimes they don't like it when composers come to final mixes because yeah. we will say, hey, what about the score? as they push the score down. Uh, other times uh, I've gone to mixes and they've done a really bad job editing the score. And I've had to go in there and kind of redo that. Mm. And that's been a mm-hmm. very complicated, politically charged kind of thing to do in a film, especially if the director's liking... What they're doing, right. even though what they're doing doesn't sound very good, and I know that a lot of people out there will say, "Well, you know, composers have a different way of hearing things." But I, I think we have, uh, as a composer, um, you know, the, the music, the musical continuity is is as important as the story continuity. So I've, I've often had a little, I've had a few battles with directors around that, um, and we've always achieved um, détente in that place where we've. Come to a crossroads where um, we make the score work with the sound design and all the other sound elements, mm-hmm. so that 's always a very difficult relationship, and that 's um, something that you can push uh, depending on how, how what your working relationship is with the directors. Just in terms of you know,
1: career advice for students that might be about to graduate and, and enter into this world. Um, you know, what are some of the skills that you feel are most important in today's job market for young composers, young music producers, soundtrack designers? I'm I'm thinking that, um, you know, the ability to communicate and have dialogue with a director might be one of those things, but I'd be curious to hear your thoughts as well. Just what are the, what skill set is most important?
2: Well, I think skills primarily because you don't have any credits, so you're only as good as what you can do. And, um... It's a great chicken or the egg question. How do I get a credit if I haven't worked very much? And the way you're judged is how much skill do you bring to the table? What can you do? And so for uh, young, younger people or people starting out in this field, be prepared to do all the things that you may not necessarily had intended to do as a sound professional, so for example, if you're a composer and that's what you've been studying, you might end up not getting the composing job right away. You might get the sound designer job first. And if you do a great job doing sound design, then they'll ask you to compose. So that's why you have to be good at the technical skills as well as the creative skills. Because oftentimes what they need is somebody to you know, do sound editing. And uh, they they may not necessarily want you to do something like a score right away because of your lack of experience. On the other side of that, if you deliver a lot of really great music as a part of an audition for a film that you've been producing at home, you may get the composer job right away, as I did on my first film. You know, I spent a year producing music at home, getting really good at it. And then the first film I ended up scoring went to Sundance Film Festival and got picked up and released internationally. You know, and a lot of people spend years trying to get to that level. And my whole philosophy was, uh, at the time, um, the only way I'm going to make any inroads in this field is if I bring an incredible amount of skill to what I'm doing and a good product and a good brand to what I'm doing. Uh, So I I always encourage students to spend as much time as they can honing their technical abilities as mixers and editors and their compositional abilities by writing lots and lots of music so that when it's time to audition for that film scoring job, Mm -hmm. they have a music library that that is varied and um, well produced. And then the hesitation on the side of a director or a producer to hire somebody who may not have done a score before, won't be so hesitant. They'll say, the music sounds great, let's hire this person to do this. So that's, that's my advice is to work really, really hard and make a lot of music and also concurrently work on your technical abilities as a sound designer, sound editor, sound mixer, recording engineer, whatever, or even um, getting a job as a, as a production assistant on a movie. Uh, there have been many composers who've done that, yeah. who've, who've gone that way just to learn as much as they can about the film industry. So uh, I think taking a very peripheral view is sometimes the better way to get to what you want than taking this direct view, this is what I want to do. Because all this other stuff needs to get done. And if you're only focusing on this one thing, you might miss the opportunity of working with a really brilliant post sound mixer sure. or working with a great music editor. So those are skills that are just as important as compositional skills, for example.
1: Yeah, and I think experience counts for a lot, too. Um, we try to provide students at Academy of Art with a lot of collaborative opportunities yeah. by having them you know, do the music or the sound for an animation or a game or a student film. Um, a lot of our students are doing that. And I know I've talked to a lot of industry people. Uh, I had a conversation with Randy Tom, the director of sound design at Skywalker Sound one time. And he said, you know, look, you know, experience counts for a lot. The skills have to be there. The base level skills Mm -hmm. You have to be able to, you know, have a a, a demo reel or a portfolio that presents your best work that you have. But right behind that, a lot of people who are hiring are looking for. People who have collaborative experience, yes. and even if it's on—I'm I'm thinking of this chicken and the egg question, sure, right? Sure. Because, of course. yeah, it's like, well, no, I haven't done any feature films yet. I haven't done anything that's been in a festival yet. Well, of course, it's, you're just starting out. Right. But look, I've done—you know—four really strong student films. Here's my portfolio, and believe me, I think anybody in the industry who's in a position of hiring, let's say, a producer or a director. Anybody who's hiring a composer like
2: this, they've got some
1: background and some skills of course, to recognize yeah. when it's good versus when it's not good, right? So experience counts for a lot. It
2: does, and I think one of the things that, uh, as a student, you can develop is discerning what is really worth doing for that reel. And that's um, something uh, very difficult to teach sometimes. And um, I find that the students who really understand what it is that they're going to be doing, i.e. the quality of the film, the student film, for example, that they're working on. You know, is this a student film they see going to a festival Mm -hmm. somewhere? Is it a film that's produced well enough that a producer's going to sit through it long enough to actually appreciate all of the assets contained within the film, in addition to the visual part? And that level of discernment means that, uh, the opposite is true. So let me start over again. So one of the things people often say is you have to do everything when you start, and and my thing has always been you don't no you don't do everything. You find things that have a very high qualitative value to them, and you go after those things. Even if they're short films, even if they're just festival films, whatever student films, because if they're a vehicle, they're going to be a vehicle for you as a composer. If they're not qualitative enough to be a vehicle Mm -hmm. then as a film composer you're going to be stuck not moving forward the same thing as a sound designer it's the same thing Mm -hmm. um so speaking back about what are what are directors looking for so let's go back to like as a person what are they looking for so um they're looking for somebody with uh, a a high degree of flexibility and you need to be able to roll with the punches and what that means is if they ask you to do something and you don't know how to do it you have to figure out how to do it. And uh, uh, I've been in, there's no better way to learn than to run into the fire and put it out yourself. Uh, and I've had to do that on every film project. There's been something that I have had to learn, even at this point in my career. Uh, just when I think, okay, you've learned everything that you need to learn, there's always something new that I need to figure out how to do. And um, either, uh, compositionally or maybe something technically, but there's always something I need to kind of focus on learning for that sp- particular film. And uh, the desire and the willingness to learn while you're on the job is a huge thing. So having, asking lots and lots of questions, finding out how things are done, doing a lot of, you know, stay, when the, if you're interning in a studio, for example, and you don't know how to, how to work the mixing console, stay late and figure out how to work the mixing console bug the engineer, you know, have them teach you how to do it. Uh, because that's the kind of stuff, the kind of proactive initiative you need to take that people will notice, and then people will go, okay, this person's willing to learn, which means they're flexible, um, they're willing to be a problem solver, uh, and they'll hire you if you're, if you're down with all that stuff, versus if you're just sitting there expecting, expecting to learn by magic, it just doesn't yeah. work that way. The industry doesn't work that way.
1: And I find industry professionals are usually pretty responsive to enthusiastic people that are new, who are respectful of their time uh, and/or um, you know, I, I, I hesitate to use the word aggressive, but I yeah. you know, if they show if they demonstrate enthusiasm and a genuine interest, and they've got a strong base skill set. Yeah. Most of the big shots that I've encountered in the industry are more than willing to you know, spend a little time with someone to either show them something or give them some career advice. I think it's very
2: important that you uh, have a measured level of enthusiasm. So yes. what that means is you're not out there so zealous that you're doing things you clearly don't know how to do and you make lots of mistakes and people get very angry and upset with you. Because I've seen that happen a lot. I've done that. Um, it's very important to know when to step back and say, I'm not quite sure I know how to do this. I think I should spend a little bit more time learning about this. And uh, then maybe in six months taking initiative with whatever that is, trying it again and not screwing it all up. So that kind of zeal to to make a mark in the industry can, can actually work against you if you're not really intelligent about how you're doing it. And knowing what your weaknesses are, are is a huge part of that. Um, it, knowing what you're really good at, what you're not really good at, and what you may never be really good at uh, is are, are all important things. And, uh, I, and I've learned that in my own career. You know, there are certain things I'm really, really good at doing. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things I'm not really good at doing that other people are great at. And just let them do that and focus on what um, what I'm really good at. Uh, a case in point was um, I got a call from a producer last week. They hired me to score a PBS documentary. That's, that's great. And part of that was, hey, did you, you want the job as a mixer on the film? You know? Which I did a long time ago, but I haven't mixed a film in a very long time. I've just been scoring them. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot more money involved and I had to say no there's lots of very capable people that you can hire that have been doing it uh, that are better at that than I am. So I'm just going to do the score and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So I, I've learned how to back away because I'm not in a position like I was when I, was, you know, when I started and I had to do, try and do everything and fail a lot. Now I'm more or less in my comfort zone and I want to stay working in my comfort zone. So I, I don't take those kinds of risks anymore. Um, but those are risks that you can take early in your career if the stakes aren't so high. So that's another thing you have to really measure when you're starting in this business. I always tell students, like, discernment is the single most important thing that you can cultivate uh, when you're in school. You know, school's not about uh, becoming an expert in everything. School's about finding your work process. Like, figure, take school and use it as a way to learn your workflow. And that's exactly what I did when I was in school. I focused on how do I get things done at a consistently high level, no matter what's going on? And that's what I took away from my experience, and that's what I try to teach students here, is how can you create the best work that you possibly can under whatever circumstance that you're in so that you can get that job? Like how can you develop that consistent high level? And, and that's a real, I think sometimes as, a, as an educator, you know, I forget that that sometimes can take many, many years to do, but that's really what we do in this business is we figure out on the sound side of, of it, yeah. uh, what, how to get really good at whatever we're doing. And that's something that can always be improved. But at a certain point, if you want to work regularly, you need to figure that out.
0: So there's some great advice from film composer Gunnar Duboisi and of course Brad Hughes. And please hit subscribe in Spotify or iTunes or whatever device you're listening to so you never miss an episode of Creative Mind Podcast, especially part two of this interview between Brad Hughes and Gunnar Duboisi. Also check out our new Facebook page at facebook.com slash creativemindpodcast. I'm Bobby Brill, thanks for listening.